Hi everyone, my name is Lauren and I'm one of the pastors here at Q Baptist Church. If you haven't seen me around much recently, I have been a little busy uh, growing and raising a small human, uh, but I'm back from my maternity leave now and I'm really excited to be reconnecting with my KBC family, albeit digitally. Um, I did confess to the ministry team earlier this week that I am feeling a little bit like a bad luck charm. Uh, because it was right after I left in December that you had the first big return to in-person services after months of lockdown. And now I'm back on deck and here we are back on Zoom Church. But they say correlation is not causation, uh, so hopefully I'm in the clear. Well Church, as we turn to look at today's passage, I first want to ask you, what comes to mind for you when you hear the word mystery? I suspect for many people today, the word mystery has just become synonymous with murder mystery. <laughs> After all, from the, the old school whodunit to the more recent explosion of the true crime genre, uh, we as a society have long been enthralled with puzzling over these kinds of grisly mysteries. Or, you know, perhaps the term mystery just conjures up a more general definition for you, you know, signifying the unknowable, things that are difficult or, or impossible to explain. You know, those old platitudes, the, the mysteries of life, the mysteries of love, the mysteries of outer space, I don't know. Well, in today's reading from Ephesians 3, we have a different kind of mystery altogether. The Apostle Paul is expounding on what he calls the mystery of Christ. So today, I want to take us through three things. Firstly, the what. What is this mystery? How do we understand it? The why, what is the purpose of this mystery? Why is it significant? And then the where to from here? What are the implications of this mystery for our lives today? So let's start with the basics, the what. What is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Well, let's read again from verse two. Paul writes, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, while we may bring a bit of cultural baggage to the term mystery, uh, it's important to establish up front that the biblical definition here is something quite specific. You know, it's not an unexplainable phenomenon or a puzzle to be solved. You know, when Paul uses the word mystery here in relation to Jesus, it quite simply refers to something that was previously unknown but has now been revealed. You know, it's not an unattainable explanation. There's no sleuthing required. The mystery, as it were, has now been made fully known. And what is this mystery? It is that the Gentiles, that is the non-Jewish people, are co-heirs with Israel to the promises of God, members together in one body in Christ Jesus. Now look, as we hear these words today as a modern day, predominantly non-Jewish church, they might sound rather pedestrian. 
you know, we can kind of take it for granted, can't we? I mean, well, of course we're included. I mean, of course the message of Jesus is for us. I mean, how else could our church even exist? I mean, that's all we've ever known. That's never been in doubt for our entire lifetime or even the lifetimes of many generations past. But we have to understand that at the time of Paul's letter, this was an absolutely radical revelation. As we covered in Ephesians 2 last week, the Gentiles were previously considered excluded. In the words of Paul, they were without hope and without God in the world. I mean, all the way back to Abraham, God had set apart the Israelites as his chosen people. I mean, that was the narrative as far as everyone had understood it. Jews in, Gentiles out. So to now hear that through Jesus, not only are the Gentiles included, but that their inclusion had actually been part of God's plan all along, this was mind-blowing. As Paul writes, this had not been made known to people in other generations, and for ages past it was kept hidden in God. I mean, this was the stunning cosmic plot twist that nobody could have anticipated, but one that had been carefully woven by the author of time before the creation of the world. This is the glorious mystery of Christ that Paul is talking about. So, having established this revelation of the joining together of the Jews and Gentiles into one united body of believers under Jesus, the Apostle Paul then zooms out to convey the bigger picture why of it all. Because this reconciliation of Jew and Gentile was not merely an end unto itself, but part of a greater vision and purpose at work. And we see this in verse 10, which really is the centerpiece of this whole passage. Paul writes, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Let me just read that again. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In the words of N.T. Wright, this is one of the New Testament's most powerful statements of the reason for the church's existence. I mean, isn't this just such an incredible vision for the church? That the church is not just a a weekly gathering of individuals or a performance of service content, but in fact the church is God's chosen vehicle to authoritatively display his wisdom to all the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Wow. Let me read again from N.T. Wright. He says, The rulers and authorities must be confronted with God's wisdom in all its rich variety, and this is to happen through the church. Not through what the church says, though that is vital as well. Rather, through what the church is. Namely, the community in which men, women and children of every race, colour, social and cultural background come together in glad worship of the one true God. See, what this passage tells us is that the church, by its very nature and existence, is to be the ultimate demonstration of the wisdom of God through Jesus. For the church is the embodiment of the unifying work of Christ. I'll say that again. The church is the embodiment of the unifying work of Christ. 
I mean, you could not get two more divided groups than the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, back in chapter 2, Paul referred to the, the dividing wall of hostility that had existed between the two. I mean, any form of reconciliation would have been utterly inconceivable. But through Jesus' work on the cross, this barrier was now declared destroyed. I love how Paul puts it in Romans 3. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. These two once disparate groups are now both receiving the same message of salvation by grace. They are coming together as the one body. They are all unified as the one church under Christ, and this serves to testify powerfully to the wisdom of God. Because God's ultimate plan, his end game, if you will, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is what we heard back in Ephesians chapter 1, that God's will, purposed in Christ, is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Jesus. And so this unity of Jew and Gentile under Christ in the church is a stunning window into God's big picture plan for all of heaven and earth. So I'll say again, the church, by its very nature and existence, is intended as a living testimony, a a powerful proclamation to all the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms of the wisdom of God, for it is the embodiment of the unifying work of Christ. This is God's vision the church. So what are the implications of all of this for our lives today? Well, I want to put to you today an encouragement, a challenge, and a prayer. Firstly, there is great encouragement for us in this revealed mystery of Christ because it reminds us that we are all included. Now, we may not live within that specific cultural division of Jew versus Gentile, but there are still so many other divides that exist in our culture today. And so many metrics we can use to consider ourselves unworthy, that we don't measure up, that we don't truly belong. You know, one thing I've seen a lot over the years is the way that we can compare ourselves to other Christians and use the the experience and backgrounds of others to make judgments on our own worth or belonging in the body of Christ. You know, for example, maybe you came to know Jesus a little later in life. You know, you didn't grow up going to church, didn't come from a Christian family, perhaps even lived a very unchristian lifestyle before you dramatically encountered the gospel and turned your life around. And even though now you're in the church, you still sometimes struggle with feeling like a bit of an outsider, you know, maybe comparing yourself with others and looking at the baggage of your own past and worrying that you're not really a proper Christian. Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you you did grow up in a Christian home. You you went to church every Sunday. You you followed Jesus your whole unassuming life. But still, you, you find yourself looking around at other Christians and perhaps those with those more dramatic conversion testimonies, and you wonder still if you really belong. 
the concept of merit is so culturally hardwired into us, you know, to, to earn our favor, to, to prove our worth. It's also so deeply ingrained that it makes the doctrine of grace so scandalous, so counterintuitive, so hard for us to fully accept. You know, the idea that we are included and accepted by God, not because of who we are or what we've done, but entirely because of who he is and what he has done for us, it's extraordinary. There is no upbringing, no background, no cultural or social standing, no personal achievement that qualifies or disqualifies us for the kingdom of God. We have all sinned. We all fall short. And we are all justified freely by God's grace through redemption in Christ Jesus. And this was God's glorious plan for us from the very beginning. Our whole Ephesians sermon series is called Your Place in God's Plan. And how affirming and, and encouraging it is for us to know that not only are we included, but that our very inclusion was woven into God's eternal plan before the world even began. We are not plan B. We are not an afterthought. We are seen, we are known, and we are loved by our Heavenly Father. By the grace of Jesus, we belong in God's plan. And this plan is is so much more than just individual salvation. It's kingdom family. We are now part of the one body, members of the one church, testifying together of the wisdom and power of God. And this brings me to the challenge. We've read in this passage about God's incredible vision and purpose for the church. But I wonder, how does this align with our attitude towards church? It's a perhaps a challenging question to consider in this season of, of lockdowns and online services where it can be maybe all too easy for us to bring a consumer mentality to our church participation. You know, where we run the risk of becoming merely disconnected viewers consuming a church experience, you know, rating its value on how much we personally got out of the Sunday service. You know, did I like the songs? Did the tech production run smoothly? Did the sermon do anything for me? I mean, even outside of Zoom church, these are things we are known to be fixating on even when we gather in person. But this is such a, a low uninspiring vision of church. We are not called to be individualistic consumers, but kingdom family, members of one body, purposed to proclaim the unifying work of Christ. God's vision for the church should challenge and inspire us to look beyond ourselves, to not merely gravitate towards what is comfortable and convenient, but to consider how we can be vessels for Jesus, testifying to the unifying work of Christ within our church body. A unity that transcends aesthetic tastes and social cliques. A unity that prioritizes love for the other over our own personal comforts. 
So I want to challenge each of us to consider, you know, when we're sitting in those Zoom breakout rooms or, or even for when we're back sitting in the pews at church, are we there with an attitude of what's in it for me? Or are we humbly asking, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus for someone else today? Are we choosing to just talk to our friends and the people who make us feel comfortable? Or are we choosing to step beyond the comforts of our own social spheres to intentionally foster Christ-centered community and share the love of Jesus? Let's remember God's vision for us here that he has purposed the church as his chosen vehicle to make known the spectacular glory of his wisdom through the unifying work of Christ. May this vision of the church capture your heart and mind afresh today. May it challenge your attitude and realign your perspective. And may it spur us all on as a community of faith growing together in love. I want to leave us today with a prayer. Paul closes out this chapter of Ephesians with a beautiful prayer, maybe my all-time personal favorite prayer from the scriptures. And at the heart of this prayer is Paul's desire for the Ephesians to know the love of Christ. He prays that they may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses knowledge may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, among other things, what strikes me in this beautiful prayer is that to truly know the love of Christ is also a corporate experience. You know, it's not something we could ever fully comprehend on our own as individuals. It is a love so profound, so powerful, so expansive that we can only begin to grasp it in community with other believers. You know, as we share life and faith together, as we hear the prayers, the testimonies, the revelations of our fellow brothers and sisters, our understanding of God's love just grows deeper and richer. We weren't meant to do this alone. God has purposed us as his kingdom family, united together under Christ, testifying to his glorious wisdom. So let's continue to press in to community, to remember God's beautiful vision for the church, and to behold together the love of Christ, that we too may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me close by praying this prayer of Paul for our church. Why don't you join me in prayer? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever.